So what do you guys think about Rails? It's good. I uh, I see where you're going with this, but at the same time, like I don't know if there's another... Like, so I guess there's trade-offs, right? Like, well, I guess we should back up. The pain points I think we're going to go into are like the conventions that Rails creates kind of push you down a path and maybe your product doesn't fit entirely within that path. And also the automatic things that Rails does, there's a lot of, I guess, contention and confusion around whether or not you should test those things. I was thinking more of the lines of, um, you know, Rails doesn't do something in an object-oriented way, but it makes your life easier. So it's okay not to to OOP in that situation. So I, I kind of think Rails is like the Lego of frameworks. It's so easy to compose pieces, but you don't want to end up building a skyscraper out of Lego blocks. Or toothpicks. Or toothpicks. So should we do like awesome things and then bad things? Or should we mix it up? So I guess we could start with just the typical pattern of, of using Active Record. And Active Record is unfortunately both the name of the framework and the name of the pattern. And that's when you have a domain object like a user, and that user knows how to save, update, and delete itself. That's really convenient, but I'm not sure that scales, and that's also a violation of the single responsibility principle. You have this, this one class that knows all about the details of your database, and it also knows all about your domain. And I guess for certain projects, like I have started with, you know, Active Record and, you know, a schema and migrations or whatever. But other times I start with just, I guess, TDDing the actual, like, model objects I'm going to be working with. Sometimes I come to the conclusion that I don't actually need to store a certain type of object. Like, it's only going to be ephemeral from an API response, or it gets stored within another object, or I change where I want to store it, and I don't necessarily want to store it in a relational database. So do you guys think that there will be a, t- like, making cars back in the day was probably like, oh, yeah, I'm a mechanic, I know how to make cars, and then they had robots that just put them together. Like, do you think Rails, like building software, sometimes you just have to not care about stuff? It's just like, not not care, but like it's okay to have all that logic or all that responsibility in one class. I guess it eventually comes back to bite you, but at a certain level... Well, I don't think it necessarily does. It's It all depends on the size of the app you're writing. I mean, using Act Record Framework is can be super, super fast for small things. If you have a view, you just want to return all of your users. You just like, literally, the, the controller code is render user dot all. And that's super fast. But there's a certain point where that doesn't scale. What point do you think that is? Some arbitrary large point. Pam, you're very quiet. What do you, what do you think about uh, Ruby on Rails? I, you know, I actually looked at the trail and I apparently uh, voted for this topic. Uh, so I only <laughs> have myself to blame. Um, and then I later said I have nothing to say about it. Um, I guess it's because, like, I, ha- I have enjoyed writing Ruby, but I have yet to have the joy when dealing with Rails. Like, it's just kind of like a means to the end it's not anything super duper special or like it doesn't you know like when people talk about writing ruby that you say say like well it's kind of nice you know when you're writing things that you you know i was someone asked me the other day like you know about writing ruby and i was like well it's kind of nice that you can do like dot verb and then usually it does something uh so that's kind of nice um but Rails, like, there's just so much stuff in it. 
Like, and even, like, even when people who I considered, like, because I had people helping me out to do Rails stuff when I was learning it, um, using the Rails generators, and you spend, while, you know, it saves you a decent amount of time in terms of just running the generator, you then spend a lot of time just deleting stuff that you don't need. Um, if you do that, other people just don't delete it, and then it's just a mess. So... There's just so much stuff in it, and I guess I, I do really like simplicity and, um, like, kind of, I guess I want to use the word expression, but I'm not sure if that's what I mean, and when I write things so that, you know, when things get too big that it's very suspicious, because it's like, it's like, I, I live in like a 500 square foot apartment, so like, it's with another person and a cat, and so like, I, I like you know, small spaces and simplicity, uh, with, with great results. So I feel like Rails has like just so much stuff and yeah. like, and, and especially like when people, and it's like when you get into the gems thing, it's like you see people like just add a gem to their gem file and then, you know, it loads 20 dependencies and then people don't account for the debt of those 20 dependencies. Yeah, I guess it's like a really uh, cliche example that like every Rails project starts out, you know, really fast and great like time to market them in a wider product, whatever you want to say. Um, but then that like all the code for a project continues to go in this one, this one Rails app, uh, and you hear over and over again from companies that started with a Rails app and then it became gigantic, and they call it the monolith or the monorail. And then over time, they start breaking things out from within the Rails app. And I, I think that like that inflection point is probably much earlier than these companies advertise. Like I've been to projects that got too big and never got broken up. So I, I guess when Rails gives you so much convention around so many things, like it seems like the logical place to put all of your application or applications or services. And you know, like just from a practical standpoint, the reason that's an issue is because. You know, as a developer, I can only fit so much stuff in my head at one time. And it's really important to, you know, keep a simple interface to something like a small footprint or uh, I guess, you know, a surface area. And then when I'm working on that thing, I need to only, all I need to, to worry about is, am I changing that, that interface? And I need to worry about everything in behind that interface. But with Rails, I feel like it's much easier because everything can require everything else and touch everything else that it's much harder to keep things separate. So your example of starting with, you know, your business model and then deciding if you need act record, that's the type of programming that I love, but I feel like that's such a small percentage of what we do as Rails programmers. Like you'll, you'll do that for a little bit and then you'll have to add a gem for pagination You'll have to add a gem for OAuth. You'll have to add a gem for your database. And then you're just spending all your time just configuring gems. I think most Rails developers are, are Rails configurers and not so much Rails developers. Do you think that, would you call that irony, considering Rails is supposed to be all about convention over configuration? Uh, it could be. I mean, there's, you know, you're obviously going to need to configure things, even though 
a lot of the rest of the framework does does give you a lot of convention. But there's also this tedium of these things not being that difficult until two gems collide, and then you need to you know get up to your elbows debugging other people's gems. On, on the on the you know on the other hand. I don't really want to build pagination myself, knowing that it's there. It's so easy. <laughs> put the gem in and put the line in your view file. Right. I used to enjoy actually programming those kind of things, and now it's more just configuring gems. But on the same hand, you know, when I when I do maybe start a new project, and I think to myself, well, this is fairly simple. I don't need to, to use Rails. I'll just do it in Sinatra, or I'll do it in Node. I'll inevitably get to some point where I think, oh, if I was in Rails, I'd just be able to add this gem. I'd be able to just add device and have all my authentication stuff taken care of. And every single time, I just RMRF that directory and type Rails new. So have you all worked on projects that have been broken up, like that have not become a giant Rails app? Is there, do we already, isn't there like a abbreviation now for like the giant monolithic Rails app? Monorail. Monorail? Yeah. Is that really it? <laughs> that's that's, that's what I've definitely heard it. thrown around. Nice. I don't think I have. I've definitely been on projects where we knew we, we had to break it up, but we never did. <laughs> you know, there, there is like a trade-off. Like, as like I, I talked about the benefits of breaking things smaller. Um, what was it, the rules of simple design? or Not not the ones we talked about last week, but... Uh, From Sandy Metz. It was like it was like things should be smaller and then they should be even smaller than that. Oh, that was from Clean Code. That was oh, uh, okay. Bob. Yeah. Yeah. So that 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 applies to like our systems too. Like the bigger something is, the harder it is to work with. So, but but there is a trade-off. Like if you take a service and move it off to a separate separate application, separate code base, whatever. Now you have to you know have a defined interface between these two things so they continue working together. You need to upgrade and version it separately. Um, you have to figure out how you're going to communicate with it, whether that be like HTTP or message queue. You have to deploy it separately, um, which hopefully in your organization is not a lot of overhead. But for a lot of companies that haven't really invested a lot of time in you know automated deploys and, and DevOps processes, then that is kind of difficult. So yeah, there, there are trade-offs of, of breaking things up. But I think that you're your team or company can be can be better at that maybe um, like that's kind of like a skill as engineers or as an organization to be able to have these things independent and, and deployed but then I also look at applications um, that are too big and I'm like how would I break this up and then I have trouble thinking of a clean way to do it well by the time you're big enough to want to break it up you're probably going to incur a lot of pain by doing so do other languages and frameworks run into these problems? Like, I know Express and Node.js, Express doesn't really have as much convention as Rails, but I haven't worked with Django. Is that like a similar level of, uh, of convention? I'm not sure. The, I guess the Ruby or the Rails community is kind of loud. I feel like Python people hear about Rails problems, but we don't hear about like Django problems. Yeah, I mean, I guess in, I guess like what exact, thing are you referring to justin well like just the the um the tendency of rails apps to get large and and harder to maintain over time which i guess is just called you know programming in any any language or framework yeah i mean um, anything you can like that happens to spring apps that happens to any app 
Um, it's just that Rails has a, I guess, yeah, I think almost like, I think what Jerron is saying, like the Rails group community is a little bit louder, so you hear about it. But, but yeah, uh, it. I think it does happen in Django. Um, that's why actually, like if you if any listeners uh, want to get good at Django, um, my favorite Django book is Two Scoops of Django um, from Pi Danny and Audrey Roy. Um, it's really fantastic, and it is um, it is a best practices book that is like this is how you Django. So like a book that has all those things. I don't know if we have one. If there's like, is there one of these like that does exactly this for Rails, where it's like, this is the right. If you were wondering, this is the right way to do this. See, the, the problem with that, at least for for Rails, is like Rails suggests a right way to do everything, but then there's yeah. like a right way to make your blog application or whatever. There's a right way to make your e-commerce application. There's a right way to make your, um, you know cloud management system like depending on what application you're going to make like the things in rails look a little different there's no right way to make Basecamp. yes rails right. is perfect for making Basecamp. is the joke so i think part of the reason why larger apps might be a little more painful in rails is a lot of the ways we modify things are just in, in ruby uh, are by monkey patching and you know, mixing more methods into like application controller. Lots of gems will do this. And I think that just makes things much more painful to work with. But that's also the same reason why Rails is so powerful and why Rails is so productive. I think the thing that sold me on Rails back when I was a .NET developer, I had a, a project and one of the requirements was to let every route or be, actually just be able to download a PDF of every single page. And coming from my .NET background, I was thinking this was probably like three weeks. We'd probably have to buy some uh, painful PDF software and get the license for it and mess with their API. And it turns out I was able to just add the PDF kit gem and every route just immediately had a, a .PDF and it rendered a PDF. Wow. And I was done in five minutes. And then I just, it used, uh, the way it worked is it used the print styles, so then I just had to modify the uh, the print styles, and I was done. All right, that about wraps it up. <laughs> Does any of this even matter anymore? Do servers actually render HTML? Mine do, you JavaScript <laughs> hipsters. I would, I would love to work on an application that was an HTTP API and a JavaScript user interface. I think that'd be a lot of fun. That's like every single page JavaScript web app. Are you just saying that you want to work on a single page web app? No, no. What I'm saying is not necessarily, I guess, single page, but I'd like to work on an application that from the start decided to be an HTTP API and a JavaScript framework like Ember or Angular instead of like, here is our rendered HTML. Now let's Use... Do more JavaScript on top of it. And... Yeah, and even even if you're using Ember or Angular, it's like, well, this page is you know dynamic. Or I've also only worked with backbone applications really, and I, I wish there was a little more convention in place, like Rails. <laughs> um, like I, I I wish I still haven't read Pam's book. I, I bought it, um, but picking a choosing your JavaScript framework, how to choose a JavaScript framework. Yeah, I just, I just would like to work on it because like, so that's one of the things about Rails is that, you know, as it gets into a, you know, 
big ball of mud, one of the things that's combined is like the client side HTML and view logic, as well as the server side, you know, like your business logic and your, your, your data acquisition and all that stuff. Um, as well as like the asset pipeline. So it'd be, it'd be cool to have like a separate front end application that all you need to worry about is like, how does this interface with this HTTP API? And then working on the HTTP API, all you need to worry about is like, what interface am I presenting to this JavaScript client? And you can work on those things separately. I would like to work on an app like that. I argue for that all the time. <laughs> it's, it's so painful to have controllers doing double duty and trying to figure out within the same controller whether an action is going to return JSON or, or return HTML. Have you guys ever used Rails just for the folder structure or the naming? Or, and then, um, have you ever used like Sinatra for a client app and regret it every day after that? <laughs> not, not for a client, but I've made, <laughs> I've made Sinatra apps and they've been okay, but it's usually like upfront that I decide like, oh, this is going to be pretty simple. Well, part of the reason why I w- would not choose Rails if I was going to do a more heavy client-side app is the fact that the asset pipeline is not on par with uh, other package managers. It's actually pretty terrible. Uh, but it's so easy when you type Rails new, you have the asset pipeline, you throw JavaScript in your JavaScript directory, and everything magically works. But it's definitely it's definitely no power. What are your guys' thoughts on um, the maturity of Rails? Is that an awesome thing? Or what... What do you think Rails needs to become more awesome? I think they need to just stop. I, th- I think I think like a, if you look at the release of Rails four, what came out of it was nothing impressive. It was like Turbo Links, and nobody cared. It was like the least exciting up- upgrade of Rails ever. I think. So focusing on performance, basically. Yeah, I don't know. How about the creator of Rails? Is he an awesome factor or a con factor? I mean, I think it's a con that it matters. There you go. Like, that's it's one of the things that in when we talk about... Actually, so we have a, a card on our Trello that's um, a self-promotion, a necessary evil. Um, and it's almost like... It's kind of interesting that in uh, in engineering, aka kind of like an introvert's world, that we that like stereotypically is an introvert's world, we have like these, you know, quote, rock stars and things like that, or the people who excel um, within this community at being visible. And like, there's only, you know, I, so it's kind of like, like when I read a book, there's only some books where when I read the book, I'm like, oh man, I'm going to like follow this author and get really into it. Like, you know, Margaret Atwood, who is just like a fantastic you know, author and probably person, but also you can also read a book and the person can be a total jerk and who cares? Because if you like the book, that doesn't really matter. So, and at this point, you know, especially for libraries though, it's actually quite different because you have, you know, hundreds of contributors. So even if you have like a figurehead, like, so if you have like, you know, your benevolent dictator uh, of a project, um, you know, really, it wouldn't be the project without all the people who made it really happen. If it was just that one person, it's not possible, actually. Agree? Disagree? I, I don't know anybody who pays particular attention to DHH. I think a lot of people do. I'm glad. I, I, don't, I think I, don't I think know. people do. I, but 
I mean, it's, I feel like I there's a a minor a minor uneffort on my part to not pay attention, and you still hear about it even if you don't. Yeah, watch. I was just gonna say it's kind of hard not to to it's kind of hard to ignore him when everybody in, in the room is like, oh, TD's dead, and then he's like, oh, what are you guys talking about? You gotta go look it up <laughs> and listen. I think he's super smart, but his trolling ability is a little too much for me. Pam, so have you used a typical rail stack? And then I know right now you guys use a not so typical. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, are you saying that just because you know that we use Rails without Active Record? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was just yeah. wondering what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, oh. I mean that it does kind of drive me nuts because <laughs> um, it's like because it's one of those things about um, you know about agreeing on the best way to do things is like you know if I'm working on a project with Active Record. I kind of know the right way to do things and like, well, this is the way you do things when you have active record and a database. And when you don't have that, it's like, why are we using this again? Like, it's almost like we're using it for like the folder structure. Can you, you say know? what you're using? You just don't have a database or do you have some uh, database? No database and we use a custom ORM. Custom ORM for what if there's no database? Um, for consuming static, uh, static data files. Oh, interesting. So That's it's probably more, as far as I can go. Yeah, it's like a CSV relational mapper. Uh, kind of. You could you could it's say another, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just um, it's almost like the, you know, Rails was you know adopted in response to another monolithic app that happened to be written in a, a different language, but. Just you know, uh, it's like I just really really like probably like my favorite article for like. The past two months has been that technical debt article that Mr. Justin Campbell shared. I just think it really covers, like, you know, if you're going to do, like, a rewrite, like, changing your language doesn't change your problems. <laughs> so so then eventually this will be as monolithic as the other thing if you don't change the way you work. Yeah, Rails loses a lot of its desirability if you don't use Active Record. You get a whole lot of things for free. We use Active Record, which is sad because Active Record is terrible. But sometimes, I mean, unless I had a good reason not to, I'll use it because more. And... Well, because you get all the other stuff with it, yeah, and like, and just like things playing more nicely together when you do have it. But it is right. it is true that you can use a bunch of stuff from Active Record without Active Record. But you have to kind of start to deeply know what some of those utility libraries are. Right, that was the promise of the, you know refactoring more and more stuff into active model inside of Rails, but that's generally not the case. A lot of a lot of gems still need it, and I might be wrong. I think like something like Active Admin, which is uh, amazing when you're using Act Record, you just add Gem Active Admin and you have an admin panel, and you can edit your entire database uh, from this you know slash admin route. Uh, but you don't get that that benefit if you don't use uh, Active Record. So I personally haven't like worked on an Active Record back Rails app in like two years. I, f I feel like it's more the norm, especially like as as in the past like decade, we consume APIs as part of our main, you know, application functions, especially in organizations that have, you know, split up a lot of their business data into APIs, you know, that just becomes more and more common. What have you done? What solutions have you done in the past? when you use just a straight API or consuming an API? Um, yeah, I guess in that situation, like Rails is more the the view layer, but there is some business logic. But yeah, I just, you know, have have objects that 
are you, just, you still create models, but they're just not active record back models. And then you you know fetch from an API, and then you might have like a um, like a service object or some kind of you know facade in front of in front of the API, which you know returns to you Ruby objects. And then you just use them as you normally would. I see a lot of people use um, like active model, which gives a lot of the same things as active record to those objects. Or I've also used um, Virtus, which is basically like a, a struct on steroids. And Virtus is used in the other version of active record, right? Um, the ROM, I think it's called, Relational Object Mapper, which used to be called Data Mapper. That seems like a neat project, but I've never seen anybody actually use it. Sounds like what we're just talking about with like monorails, though, is, is it possibly just like Conway's Law? Like your project or code base will start, start to reflect your team structure. So if you have your entire team working in one code base, it's just going to be one code base? I'm not sure. I, I have broken up the monorail before with, with just one team. I just think it's the point of not wanting to incur the cost of having kind of a SOA, uh, I almost said SOA architecture, which is redundant. Uh, but <laughs> doing SOA uh, and incurring all of the penalty for doing that before it's needed. So I kind of think the monolithic is a necessary evil. Like you gain some stuff, but then you have so much technical debt. Uh, and also you don't know a lot <clears throat> when you're starting off, so it's okay. And then you're probably at a stable point, hopefully, when you're hitting the monorail pain points, that you can take some time and hire some more people to pull it out. Right, you're probably not sure what parts are going to be painful, what parts are going to be cohesive enough to extract until after you have people using it. And a lot of times, uh, we just want to get things out the door. We want to do Agile. We want eyes on our product as soon as possible. And the fastest way to get that to happen is to just ship a monorail. So, Javon, back to the earlier in the episode, um, what are some of the things that Rails does that are not object-oriented that you were talking about? Well, Len mentioned active record. It's just some responsibilities, break some patterns. I think things like URL4, there are like five versions of URL4s. And yeah, the, the routes are a little confusing. And yeah, and the helpers like URL4 or, you know, whatever underscore path or underscore URL, like it can be kind of confusing like where those are available and where, where they aren't. I have a question though. Say someone's coming that's new to software or programming, and they use Rails, do you think that damage them, damages them? Yes. That's a terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. I was actually just going to bring up learning, and I think that's a, a, a terrible thing for people to start with because they just learn these magical Rails incantations, and they have no clear separation of what parts of the stack are Ruby, what parts are Rails. So, I mean, the reason Rails can exist is because Ruby is so malleable, and you're able to make this, this crazy DSL. But if people are coming into the stack and learning Rails, all they're doing is learning this crazy DSL and they're not really understanding how these things are possible and you know what parts are Ruby and what parts are, are Rails DSL. Yeah, I think it's really important that, you know, if you've never done Ruby without Rails, like, you know, take some time and, you know, learn learn Ruby. Or if you're coming from another programming language, it's probably less of an uh an issue because you are familiar with programming that language and probably have some object oriented tendencies. Yeah, a lot of the, uh, or I, I guess I should say like some of the better, you know, bootcamp classes that I've heard of, like actually teach Ruby for a large chunk of the, uh, the class before they even touch rails. I did, I did do a Ruby 101 class and I did it in such a way that I had everyone just follow my lead. I had them kind of type 
the magical Sinatra incantations. And then I had everyone just push to Heroku. And even though they kind of didn't know what they were doing, just seeing that they were able to launch a website on the internet in five minutes, they were just like really stoked and really just enthused to learn. I remember that class. I was there. Was that Andy Holland? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. But if you try to do that in Rails today, I don't know. I used to, I used to show off to all my uh, .NET friends doing, doing Rails. I'm like, oh, I can, I can launch an app to Heroku in 30 seconds. And I was literally able to be able to type Rails new, do something in a controller, push, and, you know, a minute later have a Rails app on the internet. Now Rails has so much bloat. I think pushing to Heroku, especially with the asset pipeline, takes at least two or three minutes. Ooh, that's actually, can we talk about the asset pipeline? That's something I can actually talk about. What do you, what do you want to say about it? <laughs> um, I don't like it. Sucks. And I get rid of it. <laughs> so. I'm a fan of getting rid of it. I would love not to use it just in one Rails app. I'm actually, so I understand the asset pipeline, but then I've never been able to understand how it, it fits in with the JavaScript package managers and stuff. And like, I tried using the asset pipeline with Core.js, and I had a lot of pain. I think that's a decent, I, I think that could lead to a decent criticism is that it's it's a, a Rails-y tool for client-side stuff. And sorry, not sorry, client-side stuff is better at managing itself now. Yeah, so when the asset pipeline was introduced, which was 2011, 2012. Right, yeah, like, like, like need, there were no... You had to the, get people on board to, you know, you know minify and concatenate. Yeah, there were, there were no JavaScript package managers except for NPM at the time, as far as I know. They're, like maybe NPM, they, they existed. <laughs> they, maybe, maybe they existed, but nobody you know used them for a client side stuff. It was really just like the Node community that was publishing and you know using libraries in an automated fashion, like with package managers. And I really like the asset pipeline, or I did at the time. It the, the issue I see with asset pipeline on teams I've been on is that people that are familiar with concatenation and minimization and all these other stuff in JavaScript previously. And then go into Rails and try to, you know, do the same thing. They try to set up like like a SAS like config file or, or a compass config file and some other stuff or like require JS. And it's kind of interesting that Rails already not require JS, but like it does all these things for you. And if you do it like the Rails asset pipeline way, everything just works and, and works fairly well. But I do think in like modern apps where we have like heavy JavaScript frameworks and in, in these in these package managers that work well on their own, um, that yeah, maybe it's not the best idea to use the asset pipeline on those projects. But if you're just taking like CSS and some jQuery JavaScript and you want to have it, you know, minimized and with a hash so you can put it on a CDN and not have to invalidate it, like it's pretty awesome that it just does all that stuff for you. I haven't seen anyone really talk about not using the asset pipeline though. Maybe Pam, you should write a book. Um, I think people do. Oh, I do all the time. I no, think, yeah, I've, people I've, do. Yeah, I think it's. It, hopefully, it's just that. Just like I mean, shields himself in the JavaScript community. <laughs> but I mean, if you if you bail out on the asset pipeline, I guess I haven't seen. Um, because the thing is, if you wrote a tutorial of like how to drop the asset pipeline, it's like, well, don't use the asset pipeline. <laughs> so. Maybe there's not a great tutorial on it because uh, it's, well, you just use Grunt or Gulp or Broccoli if you want to use that new one. Um, I but, thought Bauer was the uh, the thing. 
Is it not anymore? No, Bauer is a so Bauer is kind of like a client side package manager, like npm for client side code theoretically. But the problem with Bauer is that it's kind of pointless because you have npm and Browserify as well. So you could use any npm module on the browser side. Like why do we, and and you literally to install Bauer you do npm install Bauer and so like that's like someone mentioned that to me once and they're like that is like why this is what this person was saying they were like that's why I think Bauer is pointless is because if I if I have to npm install your package manager that means I only needed the first package manager I don't need yeah. another package manager I wonder I thought that when was I use a Bauer. Good point. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Oh, you've thought you've thought that too about Bauer of like, why do I use a package manager to install my package manager? Yeah. You mean like? <laughs> I mean, it's a fair point. You mean like pip install, easy install? Or oh, I or thought. easy install pip? You mean? Oh um, yeah. See, I don't. I don't even know. <laughs> it's easy install pip because pip, but pip actually is massive, like massively better than easy install. I mean, so. I guess, I guess you know, there's like Ruby Gems is like here's how you install a package, and then Bundler is like. Here's how you install a lot of packages. Uh, oh yeah, they totally those two have totally different things, and they they work together rather than pretending that they're separate things. Mm. I, oh, yeah, Bundler's, its own Bundler's thing, a good right? deal. Like its own repository. I like Bundler. Yeah, but sadly, in Rails, most apps are just are, the package manager is save as. Pam, uh, what is stop. the <laughs> if I were to start a JavaScript app today? And not not picking a, a framework, I guess not not like the actual Ember, Angular, or whatever. But like, how would you go about it? Would you use Grunt or npm and Grunt? And what was the thing you called celery? <laughs> Broccoli. <laughs> just yeah, just pick another vegetable, and you'll eventually get to it. Um, it's JavaScript, so you just pick a noun and then add JS at the end, and eventually you'll get something. Onion.js. Um, oh, hold on, googling that. If there's not one, we should. Oh, there is one, <laughs> you guys. And spoil it. Wait for it. Its tagline is "Brings tears to your eyes." Oh man! Wow. And it's better. It's like a a Rails thing. I can't tell what it does, <laughs> but it's a Rails JavaScript thing. <laughs> I found an exception to the rule. There is no Brussels sprout. That <laughs> But that's that's two words. There's there's Sprout Core. There's Sprout JS things. Touche. So, um. Anyway, so your question was. So your question also made me think of um, Vavakwa's book, Nicholas Vavakwa. I'm probably saying his name wrong, but um, he has a book coming out. That, huh? No. No. Different. No. 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 Different guy. Okay. Um. I'll I'll uh get the link in the show notes. Um. But so he's. Uh, talking about a, a build-first approach to JavaScript, which I think actually, Justin, you'd probably be really interested in learning about, given your love of building systems, mm. um, systems for building things. Um, but that uh, when people are approaching JavaScript applications, like start with, the, like start with your build, um, and start with that to uh, to start with a continuous uh, integration methodology in your in your uh, JavaScript projects. And his stuff, I believe, he talks about, he focuses on Grunt, which actually is probably what I'm most familiar with. Um, I am doing a, a project now with Gulp pretty soon. You know, they're they're both great. The 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 authors are very are friendly with each other. Um, they just, you know, 
serve kind of different things. Um, Grunt's one of the ones where Grunt's fantastic because it has so many plugins. So once you do master, like the is is configuration heavy, um, but once you kind of master it, because um, it is just you know it's just object literals and property values. Uh, so once you master making your mad grunt file, it's just grunt build, um, and then it does all the things. So you can, you know, use that as your uh, your first line of. So I guess so. You know, it's it's the the JavaScript rake or the JavaScript make. So one thing I do appreciate about the Ruby community is that everyone's not trying to like usurp the throne. Like in in Ruby, once people settle down around a tool, generally. People just want to make it better. And in JavaScript, I mean, there's they, always like they a new used server. to do that though, Len. They used to do that. Like when I watch like old, like I was watching like an older uh, video that was just about like testing in general, and it happened to be from the time of like the early RSpec stuff, and people were talking about like RSpec versus unit test or mini test. Sorry. Um, I mean that is one of the chasms we still have, but I think people generally settle with like either you know. Uh, R spec or or test unit or over or time, test. yeah, over time once they've been tested, but things are happening so quickly that you know stuff is it's untested. But I feel like Grunt just started to get traction, and people decided that gold Grunt's years to old. Be a thing. People forget that too. It's like you know, I I think stuff. I think the criticism of stuff ha- like you know coming out and coming out is maybe true of like the last year and a half, but actually before that, like Angular is you know. Um, about four years old now, uh, and people think of it like it's only one year old, and it's not. React is one year old, um, but so that's why I think you could say that kind of criticism over like the last year and a half of like you know, like shinyism. No, no I used to give a TDD a TDD in JavaScript talk, and like literally every six months, I would need to to redo my slides and do the new framework of the of the day. It went from like uh, JSpec to screw unit to to <laughs> Jasmine. It was, it was ridiculous. But at least now it's just uh, now it's pretty much Jasmine, except it? for okay, except for no tap. Shy, there's right? no tap too, and there's other stuff too. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you're choosing like a testing DSL, uh, people have kind of settled on Jasmine. I do have a serious question though, Pam. Oh, because none of the other ones were serious. Thanks, Jordan. <laughs> no, no, just my curiosity. Because I'm not experienced with Express, and I think you are, right? Because you're giving a talk on it. Yeah, oh. um, like like enough, but like okay. not not building like serious applications. I use Express to build like tiny little things. Okay, so we were building a tiny little thing also, and we did not know that Express doesn't um, accept post params or par- pa- parse. Post parameters by default. Do you know why that it is? It doesn't. No. Oh no, I didn't know that actually. Okay. I've usually just used it for honestly just like st- like viewable stuff, so nothing really complicated, like not even like the most basic level of complicated. Is that um, what it's but is it the- Um, no, not usually. I think it's. I wouldn't say that. I would just say that Express is you know analogous to um, to Flask or to Sinatra. Like if you want something, you have to like generally like it's trying to keep itself small so you have to explicitly add it i'm kind of it is interesting that you found that it doesn't accept post stuff out of the box but did all you did you just have to like require a library yeah i just had to add a middleware and then it was there 
okay, yeah. So then it's like, well, that's that's kind of expected. I'm not super surprised, actually. You know, like if it if it would add bloat to the application, you know, they just leave it out. Express itself is a really skinny thing. It's like it's on top of, you know, you can write an HTTP server in Node very, very easily. Express just, you know, makes it a little bit easier to do uh, routes and views. That's pretty much all it does. So then if you want to do anything other than that, you add to it, just like you would in, say, like a Flask app, that kind of thing. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, it is, it is 9 o'clock. Do you guys want to do picks? Javon, do you have a pick? I have two picks. So I've decided that one of my picks every week will be music or a song, something like that. So my music pick is if you go to SoundCloud and you search uh, Fantagram, Fall in Love, Eric Deluxe remix. It'll be in the pics, a link in the pics. Uh, it's an awesome Fantagram song if you like Fantagram. And then uh, there's a book, a PDF called Rails as she spoke that I read a long time ago that talks about some of the things that we talked about today. Uh, it's by Giles Balcat. I never know how to say his name. Um, so yeah, those are my picks. Justin, do you have a pick? Uh... Yeah, I do actually. The video game called Destiny, and it's on all the good consoles: um, PlayStation Four, PlayStation Three, Xbox One, Xbox Three Sixty. It's coming out from Bungie, so people made Halo. It is a lot of fun. Uh, I've been playing the beta for the past, you know, all weekend. Oh, thumbs uh, up, pick. And it comes out September 9th. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Cool, Pam. Do you have a pick? Sure, so I'm going to make my pick respond to Javon's pick because I think that he should use thisismyjam.com to post his weekly jams if he's going to start doing weekly jams for Turing and Complete. Um, it's a This Is My Jam. Uh, so it is a website where you uh, like you pick your one song that's like your jam for the moment and that is like what your jam is. And you can ha you can have that jam for up to seven days, and then your jam expires. And so, whatever song is your jam, that is what you put on. This is my jam. Has a really nice, really cool design. Cool. So my pick is still watching conference videos. I think I used to wake up and immediately go to Twitter and Facebook, and I think focusing more on work stuff just keeps me more motivated and excited to work throughout the day. Uh, and I downloaded the uh, WWDC app, which weirdly, like the default screen is the schedule, but there's also a videos tab that lets you both stream and download uh, every WWDC talk. So I've been uh, diving into Swift with that lately. You have to be a developer to get the WWDC talk, right? No, it used to be the case, but anyone can download the app and you can just download and stream all the videos now. Cool. So show notes are at turing.cool slash 12 and uh, follow us on Twitter or tweet uh, at us any uh, comments at, at turingcool and I'll uh, talk to you guys next week. Bye. See you. <laughs> See you guys. Is that someone's cat? Yeah. <gasps> Hi, is that, come here, buddy. <laughs> I think we should just 
edit this episode and the reply to every question should just be that meow. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about DHH? <laughs> 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 There's the intro. Actually, 